Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of John, chapter 19. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. They will look on me, Jesus whom they have pierced. This is a great verse for your Jewish brothers and sisters who do not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. You may ask them, say, tell me one person in your history that hung on a cross, that bones were not broken, because they know the scriptures, bones were not broken, and that had their side pierced. Name me one. They can't. There is not, there is one, and the one is Jesus, which then tells us that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is their Messiah. This, listen, this is even more proof that Jesus was dead. There are people, and you know this, there are people who come up with these crazy stories and theories and uh, trying to disregard and disprove the resurrection. And, you know, I've shared some of them with you. And they are ridiculous. Um, uh, many, many stories. Uh, here's just two of them. They, uh, theories. Uh, they, they have this one theory uh, called the wrong tomb theory. The wrong tomb theory. In other words, they don't believe that Jesus rose again, that somehow uh, when they went to get the body of Jesus, they went to the wrong tomb. Um, that's stupid. Can I say that's stupid for them? I, I guess I just did. Uh, that, that's just stupid, okay? Not only is it stupid, but that just doesn't make sense. I mean, think about it. If you bury someone on Friday night, you mean you forgot where you put grandma on Sunday morning? <laughs> that doesn't make sense, okay? That just doesn't make sense. And then there's this theory called he was drug theory or the drug theory. And this theory says that Jesus really didn't die, that he was drugged and they just passed out. And then he revived in the cool of the tomb and somehow in his beaten, broken, scourged, bloody, beyond all recognition, weary body, somehow he moved a 200-pound stone that was rolled in front of the tomb and got it over just enough to get his little skinny body out of there and, and go hide somewhere so when they came to find him, he wasn't there. That is stupid. Again, the Romans, listen, the Roman executioners were trained men, and they knew who was dead and who was alive. And the greatest proof that Jesus was dead is them. Think about that. The greatest proof that Jesus was dead is the Roman soldiers, is the Roman executioners. They weren't Christians. 
They didn't have anything to hide. They didn't have anything to prove. They were simply doing their job and making sure that Jesus was flatlined. But just to make sure, because it was so strange that he would die so soon, a soldier rammed the spear deep into his side. Listen, go back to verse 35, because I think it's very, really powerful, and I want you to see this. John says, I was watching, and I'm telling you the truth, that you might, not, that you might believe. Now, John is 90 years old, moved by the Spirit to record the things that happened this day, and they are forever etched in his mind. He will never forget it. John says, I'm telling you the truth because I want you to believe. John says, I was there. I saw it with my own two eyeballs. I saw them break the legs of the first and the second on the cross. I saw them put a spear in his side because there was no need to break his legs. I saw the blood and the water come gushing out. I saw prophecy fulfilled. John says, I saw it. I witnessed it. And I say it that you might believe. And the question is, do you? Believe, that is. John wrote his gospel. If you were with me, day one, I told you that John wrote this gospel for one simple purpose. Go with me, John chapter 20, and look at verse 30. Just one chapter over, simple. Here is why John wrote. Somebody ask you, why did John write the gospel? You take them to John 20, verse 30 and 31. Here is why John wrote. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in verse 30 in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may do what, saints? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. John wrote so that you would believe. That was his whole purpose in writing. And John says, I know what I'm saying because I saw it. This is not secondhand information. I didn't get this from a friend who told a friend who told a friend who told a friend who told me. John says, I saw it and my witness is true and I'm not lying. Look at verse 38. In verse 38, after this, Jesus, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. And so he came and he took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds, and they took the body of Jesus, and they bound it in strips of linen with spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because the Jews preparation day for the tomb was nearby. So ladies and gentlemen, we have two interesting men that step into the picture that we know a bit about. Joseph of Arimathea or Joseph who is from Arimathea. Arimathea is 25 miles north of Jerusalem. Joseph of Arimathea was a secret, what I like to call a secret agent Christian. Like some of y'all. And, and, amen. I don't even know where that came from. In other words, he didn't want anybody to know he was a Christian. So he put, <laughs> stop. So you put the Gospels together, and we learn that he was rich, he was devout, he was a good guy, 
He was righteous, a member of the Sanhedrin, who had believed in Jesus Christ. But because he didn't want to become unsynagogued, don't you remember what I told you unsynagogued meant? Unsynagogued means what? Excommunicated. Very good. He did not want to be excommunicated or unsynagogued, so he followed at a distance. Luke tells us he did not consent to the council to crucify Christ. He was an honorable judge in the court of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is a supreme court. It's like the high court. The Talmud, which is a Jewish writing, said that there were only 14 honorable counselors in the Sanhedrin, and Joseph of Arimathea being one of them. We are told that he looked for the kingdom of God. We know that he looked for the kingdom of God because he owned a tomb in Jerusalem. Listen to me. It is a new tomb. That's how we know that is a fact that he looked for the kingdom of God because he had a tomb, not in Arimathea where his family lives, but he had a tomb in Jerusalem because he wanted to be near the action. When Jesus came back, I guess he said, I, if I'm, we're going to be raptured, I want to be raptured from Jerusalem, not from Arimathea. Somebody say amen. You'll get that on the way home. So he has a tomb. And having a tomb, listen, we know that he was rich because he had a tomb, and having a tomb, and a large tomb, by the way, um, was very expensive. You needed to have Oprah money to have a large tomb like that. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm just trying to put the cookies on the shelf where the kids can get them, all right? You need to have Oprah money to have a, a, a tomb uh, the size of a tomb that he had. It was a large carved tomb, expensive, man hours to carve that tomb. You know, I recently heard this story of this man and his wife and the mother-in-law. They went on a trip to Jerusalem. And while they were there, the mother-in-law passed away. Well, the undertaker told them, he said, you can have her shipped home for $5,000 or you can have her buried right here in the Holy Land for $150. Well, the man thought about it and he told him, he said, you know, I'll just have her shipped home. Well, the undertaker said, well, why would you spend $5,000 to ship your mother-in-law home when she could be buried right here in the Holy Land for $150. He said, well, I heard a long time ago a man died here and was buried, and three days later he rose again, and I can't take any chances. So. Usually, a man would have a tomb in his hometown with so he can be buried with his family, so he could be buried with his father, with his family, entombed with them, so he could be with them. But Joseph wanted to be entombed in Jerusalem, and so he buys a tomb in a garden. I'll tell you more in just a minute. Look at verse 39. Tells us that Nicodemus, who came to Jesus at night. Now, you know your Bibles, don't you? John chapter 3, it was Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night. Amen. Should I do it? Should I do it? Nick at night. Anyway, John, John chapter 7, Nicodemus 
complains about the judgment that they're using to kill Jesus, and he takes some heat from the chief priest, and he backs off. But somehow, listen, here's where the story gives good. Somehow these two secret agent Christians, they realize that they had a common conviction about this prophet from Nazareth. Keep in mind, they had been through the three hours of darkness. When it went dark, it went dark all over, and nobody turned the lights on. Think about it. People are feeling their way around, looking for flashlights and The Romans recorded, this is a historical thing, the Romans recorded this three hours of darkness and they called it an eclipse. So these two great leaders experienced the darkness. They experienced the earthquake and the veil being torn in the temple. There are things that take place that everybody knows about. So at some point, two guys come together and say, that's it. It is the Messiah. And from now on, no longer a secret agent Christian, from now on, the cross bought them out. And by the way, the cross will bring you out. When you truly come to the place where you love Jesus, I don't care if you're 8 or 80, listen. You come to the place where you truly love Jesus and you are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the cross will bring you out. These guys, I'm wait while you clap your hands. The cross brought them out. And they took their stand for Jesus, and, and, they, and they're doing it publicly. So Joseph goes to Pilate and asks for the body of Jesus. Mark tells us Pilate gave Jesus the body. So they took the body of Jesus down from the cross. Nicodemus comes with 100 pounds worth of myrrh, gift for a king. Joseph brings the linen. The linen is called the takrahim, the takrahim. The reason that the Jewish people, listen, The reason that the Jewish people buried everyone wrapped in linen in the Takrahim is because there was a guy by the name of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a very respected Jewish teacher, rabbi in that time. And Gamaliel had been reading the scriptures and came across a scripture verse. I forget which one it was, which he said that he felt that it was unfair for the rich to bury their loved ones in gold and jewelry and pearls and really nice clothes and the poor to bury their loved ones in poor clothing and that kind of thing. He said that every man came into the world the same way and that he believed every man should leave the world the same way. And so he made the rule that every man would be shrouded in linen, head folded separately, feet tied, hands tied, knees tied together, jaw tied shut. Listen, this is a mummification. Mummification is for Egypt. This is Joseph brings the takrahim, the linen cloth. Look at verse 40. They took the body of Jesus and they bound it in the strips of linen or the takrahim with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. And think about this. Taking Jesus down was no small task. And it was very costly. And I don't mean monetarily only. I mean socially. It costs being unsynagogued. We talked about that, right? Excommunicated from the temple. Their wealth went right out of the window by associating with Christianity. I was reading something yesterday, and I didn't get to complete the article, but it talks about Joseph of Arimathea, as I said, was very, very wealthy. 
But after associating himself with Christianity and after um, helping Jesus and wrapping Jesus, like I said, they were throwing their livelihood and their wealth right out of the window because you didn't associate yourself with, first of all, the dead. That meant they couldn't celebrate the Passover. This article was talking about Joseph of Arimathea and many years later, his daughter, who was found to be scrubbing the floors of uh, some person's home or some royalty or something like that, and um, was talking about the fact that uh, after this event, uh, this was the, the destruction of their livelihood. You couldn't sell, you couldn't buy, you couldn't partake of commerce and economics, and, and, and you lost your friends, and you lost your family, and you were excommunicated from the temple. It cost them a lot to associate themselves with the Christian community. And of course, they couldn't, uh, uh, to, as, as I said, to celebrate the Passover because uh, they had touched the dead. And keep in mind, they, they hadn't read chapter 20. See, we have chapter 20. We have the book. We know how the story turns out. They don't know that in just one chapter, they're going to go to the tomb and find that Jesus has risen just like he said, and that in 10 days from that time, he's going to ascend to heaven, and he's going to sit in heaven until he decides to come back. And while he sits there, the Bible says he ever liveth to make intercession for you. And someday when Jesus comes back, he's going to come looking for a bride without spot or blemish. That would be us. And he's going to take us to be with him someday. And then the seven years of tribulation and then the new kingdom and the new Jerusalem is going to come. They don't know all that. So you got to understand what they were doing and the mindset that they were in when they were taking him down. They understood, I am giving up everything. Little did they know, one chapter later, and everything's going to change. Somebody need to clap their hands and say amen. One chapter later, and everything's going to change. They didn't know. And think about getting his body down logistically, just logistically. Getting somebody down from the cross wasn't easy. Somebody had to hold him up and one person had to pull out the nail. And then the other hand pull out the nail and then somebody had to pull the spike out of his feet. At this point, they are covered in blood, but they are determined and they are defiant. And let me just slide this right here. Following God, you have to be determined and you have to be defiant. Some saint need to say amen And, and, and get the scene. Amen. And get the scene here. Get it in your mind's eye. They're taking Jesus down slowly and with dignity and love and gently they pillowed his body, his head on the ground. And, and, and I was reading this, that, that, and I didn't know this until like yesterday, I think, that on the Sabbath, there, there was like a rule or a law that they were allowed to, on the Sabbath, to extend the washing period to get someone properly in the tomb. So think about when they took Jesus down. Now, now they are covered in blood because his body was hamburger meat. It was shredded. And they get him down. And now they need extra time because blood is matted in his head because they took the crown of thorns and they pushed it into his head. 
and he's been bleeding from the head. So now they need extra time to cut the hair because they're going to cut the blood away and wash his head and pick out maybe thorns that were stuck in his head and had broken off in his head. And sometimes they would wash the body in water mixed with myrtle. And then they had to wash the spit off of his face that had been left over and then comb his hair and then roll him over and try to wipe off and clean up his shredded body from the scourging. And now Jesus, listen, is no longer in the hands of hateful men. Now the father has committed his son into loving and caring hands. And that's why I titled this sermon, Love and Tenderness. Because I don't, I, don't I don't think this is about the death of Christ. These people are at the cross because they love Jesus. And it's not about the death of Christ because the next chapter, he, he's, he's gone. So he's not dead. This chapter is about people. People in the Bible were people. Like you and like me. And they loved Jesus. Because Jesus loved them. And when they took him down from that cross. And they washed his dead body. They needed extra time to get him ready. And then to wrap him in the takrahim. And they did. And it's interesting because they lowered Jesus to the ground. And they began to prepare his body. And the Bible tells us that there was a garden there. And don't you see God's hand in this? Joseph buys a new tomb. Joseph is rich. He could buy whatever he wants, wherever he wants, whenever he wants. But one day he saw this one tomb that he wanted to buy in this beautiful garden setting. And he said to the realtor, you know what? I think I'll take that tomb right there. Joseph didn't know that God was setting him up to buy a tomb that was right there where Jesus would be hung and die. And they took Jesus from the cross, prepared his body, and put him in a new tomb, in Joseph's tomb. And of course, he only needed it for the weekend. It was a rental. But nonetheless, a new tomb. I think this chapter is about death. I don't think it's about the death of Jesus at all. Then the next day, these ladies come and they don't know what to expect. So they bring spices. And I was reading this one commentator said they were bringing spices because they uh, because they didn't have time to finish um, preparing Jesus' body, and I'm not so sure that's why they're bringing spices. I think they were bringing spices because that's what you do when you love somebody and you're going to a tomb. That's what you do if you love, you go into your grandma's gravesite or her headstone. You take flowers with you and you put them there. And maybe these ladies are coming just to bring something because they love Jesus. And I think that, you know, 
And I read the Bible and I see people who really love the Lord. I mean, they really understood for me to live as Christ and for me to die as gain. And they really understood that this earth was not their home. And they lived like, I'm not comfortable here. I'm not comfortable here. Then I'm going to heaven someday. This is just temporary. And the reason why you're so unhappy is because you're trying to be comfortable in a place that's not your home. You ain't supposed to be comfortable here. You should be uncomfortable. God's going to take you to your home in heaven. And so these ladies, they come the next day. And boy, they're in for a surprise. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.